Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans. Welcome into the Hawk Central Radio Show here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. I'm a sports columnist who writes about the Iowa Hawkeyes, as many of you probably know. Uh, it's good to be back in our 6 to 7 p.m. Wednesday time slot tonight. Uh, back home, uh, as we like to say. Uh, tons to discuss, as you know. We will certainly get into the Iowa women's basketball team's impressive Big Ten tournament championship run in Minneapolis. Uh, Carver North, as the team called it. Uh, the Hawkeyes have risen to number two in the national rankings and await Sunday's selection show to see if they're a number one seed for the upcoming NCAA Women's Tournament. And, of course, there's the Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament, which begins today in Chicago with the Wednesday session of games. And the Hawkeyes uh, did not get the double bye. Uh, they will open uh, as a number 5 seed on Thursday at 1.30 p.m. after a disappointing home finale against Nebraska. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> uh, we'll preview the, the tournament ahead later in the show. But first, the big story this week, early this week, in Iowa Athletics was the $4.175 million settlement agreement in the racial discrimination lawsuit surrounding the Iowa football program, stemming from the allegations in the summer of 2020. Uh, many, many tentacles to this story, so we're bringing in an extra voice to the room for this segment. Uh, but first of all, I want to say welcome to my friend and colleague at the Register, Kennington Smith. How you doing, my man? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, ready to <laughs> ready to talk some legal stuff. You're pretty fired up. <laughs> it's always difficult. Yeah, it's a difficult topic because you uh, you really have to be careful. I think with, with everything you say, and you have to have your facts straight. So we're gonna make sure we do. And uh, also joining us today is uh, KXNO's Andrew Downs, also voice of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. Uh, uh, who always likes to? I always like to bring him in to give us the voice of the fan. So, Andrew, first of all, welcome. And just uh, I'll start with you. Um, what was your biggest reaction when you saw everything that unfolded on Monday regarding this settlement? Uh, well, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, uh, th- there was just so much, right? I think we expected the settlement to be coming fairly quickly after the the defendant's names were taken off the lawsuit, what, middle of last week or so. And so I wasn't surprised to see that this happened. Um, the, the initial thing, you know, pretty quickly I saw Rob Sand, the state auditor's uh, statement on it, and that, that kind of really brought to light the fact that uh, some of this money was going to go on the taxpayers. And I think that was uh, certainly the first kind of um, emotional reaction that most people had to this, which was, you know, why why are we footing the bill for this? Um, I think some of, in in the last few days, some of that has kind of been conflated to like, Gary Barta is the reason that taxpayers have to pay this money or something like that. Uh, I don't know that everybody kind of has their facts straight about some of this stuff. I also think there, there's, you know, some amount of um, selective outrage on this, where if if you if you were to list all of the money that we pay out as as taxpayers and settlements for things like this, uh, this would probably be a drop in the bucket, and there'd probably be some other things that that we'd be outraged about. But this is a uh, it's a hot button issue for sure, and and Gary Barta is a polarizing guy, uh, and maybe that's maybe that's generous to say polarizing because um, it it really feels like. Uh, politically in this state right now, one of the few things that most people agree on is uh, is they're not big fans of Gary Barta. Yeah, I think Rob Sand became one of the, the most popular men, in the, if not the most popular man in the state of Iowa, because uh, as uh, as we kind of discussed before, you know, 
It's got all Cyclone fans on board yes. if, you're, if you're attacking <laughs> Iowa. And then uh, I think most, you know, a lot of Hawkeye fans are also on board uh, with that stance. And I think, uh, you know, I agree. Yeah. It, uh, ba- the other three ra- uh, discrimination, not racial, discrimination lawsuit payouts that Iowa has made um, in the men's assistant track coach in 2016, obviously the high profile uh, Tracy Grease bomb. Jane Meyer case uh, that was $6.5 million in 2017, then the Title IX lawsuit after eliminating women's swimming and obviously got resuscitated and brought back women's wrestling as a result. That that added to the, the ledger. So we're up to $11.2 million uh, in four discrimination settlements under BARDA in the last seven years. So that's also part of the outrage. But those previous payouts, as you mentioned, all from the athletics department, um, Kennington, before I get too deep into the weeds on Gary Barta and whatnot, um, you know, I've written a lot about this, but so people know my thoughts out there that have read it. What were your initial thoughts uh, as you saw this unfold Monday and even Tuesday? Yeah, I think that my attention turns to the leadership at the University of Iowa. Obviously, Gary Barta is a part of that. When you think about his tenure as athletic director, four different discrimination lawsuits totaling over $11 million in payouts is an extremely jarring figure. And then I look above him to the president of the university and Barbara Wilson, and I'm sure we're going to kind of get into that uh, momentarily, but reaching out to, to her for comment as she presides over the university and she's the you know boss, obviously, of Barda and Kirk Ferentz and everybody involved as the highest position at the university for her to not comment on this matter. I also thought was a bit unsettling because to Andrew's point, the people of Iowa are footing half of the bill, no matter what the dollar amount is. I think that she has a personal responsibility as the president of what they claim to be the flagship university of the state to not speak on this, um, that, I don't feel like is very acceptable. So I think that I kind of turn my attention to the quote unquote adults in the room, the ones who um, are supposed to be the most accountable in the situation and the lack of accountability that I've seen in the last few days um, is not sitting right with me. And I'm sure it's not sitting right with a lot of people as well. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was one of the reasons, I mean, one of the many reasons, you know, you reach out to the president's office for comment. I mean, first of all, this is a high profile case under, her watch um, that was just settled. Uh, it's been a two and a half year thing. Now she wasn't here at the beginning of this, so she's coming into this a little bit later. Obviously, Bruce Harold was the, was the president at the time of the lawsuit uh, and had comments. And the president's office has uh, sometimes commented to me, sometimes hasn't. Um, it's usually been in statement form. I've never you know never had a sit down with Wilson on this topic, but you know it was also the case where you're going to let it play out before you start you know writing a you know comment on every single development in the case so uh yeah reached out uh you know the comment uh, uh we are not interested was the reply and uh, i know that's been publicized by now but there was it, it did come across to me as a little bit dismissive and you know again it's that's not to me that's not personal but to the state of iowa and a lot you know uh, to not even be willing to um share a comment that's pr crafted uh you know declining an interview request Again, um, and the reason, just so folks know, the Board of Regents um, does not have the, they told us that they don't have the 
the power to you know remove Gary Barta. It's up to the president of the university, which makes sense, right? Um, you know, the decisions are with the president. So I guess let's just go there now. We will get into some of the other stuff, including um, you know the players, you know, declaring victory uh, this morning, and and what the attorney for them said. Uh, also, Kirk Ferentz. We'll get into that a little bit later. But you know, since you brought it up, Kennington, the Barta situation. Um, you know, does he survive this? Even um, we saw yesterday, Andrew, and I know you're aware of this. Even it's it's starting to hit the floor of the Iowa State Legislature now. It is, yeah, and and so this is uh, as much heat as as Gary Barta has been under, you know, outside of the Iowa fan base. Iowa fans, you know, will find reasons to to get after Gary Barta. They've they've done it already this year, but um, th- this is this has become bigger than that and broader than that. And uh, and you you know, I think the fact that um, President Wilson wasn't there for much of this lends more of a reason to have her speak out now to kind of find out what, what she thinks about all of this, what she thinks about Gary Barta and then the job he's doing and, and all of that. So yeah, I was very disappointed yesterday when I saw your tweet that, that they weren't going to, to respond. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that was too bad. It's, it's hard for me to see this ultimately taking down Gary Barta still, as we sit here on, on Wednesday morning, wow. it's, it's getting, uh, it's getting hotter but he's been through things like this before, and uh, and so you know, as, as we sit here now, uh, I don't see this as as being the reason that that Gary Barta is no longer at Iowa. Um, and you know, the, there there are two sides to this coin. Obviously, uh, the things we're talking about, these discrimination lawsuits, are real things and and stem from very bad behavior, bad things that happen, uh, and and that's absolutely the case. Uh, there's also some good things that Gary Barta has done. There's a reason he's been in this job for as long as he has. He's a good fundraiser. Uh, Iowa's athletic programs, for the most part, uh, have have done well on on the field and on the courts and and things like that. He's he's done a good job of shepherding Iowa through a chaotic period in college sports to stay in the Big Ten and kind of get a part of this these this big money that that's coming. Um, but I, I think it's it's important then to also yeah recognize. That this isn't; these aren't PR issues that that mm-hmm. he's dealing with. These are real right. bad things that have happened on his watch in this athletic department. Embarrassing things as Iowa fans uh, to to have to face, and um, and he just hasn't adequately answered those things uh, in my mind, at least. And so um, I would like to see Gary Barta go. I don't think that's going to happen. Interesting. Um, I will get into uh, now. There is precedent that um, Barbara Wilson has done this as interim chancellor at. Uh, the University of Illinois back in 2015 there uh, has taken action. Uh, let me let me just read the first three paragraphs uh, of this story from November 2019 regarding the firing of Illinois then in Illinois athletic director Mike Thomas. Uh, Illinois fired athletic director Mike Thomas on Monday as it released the final report from its investigation into mistreatment of football and women's basketball players. The report found no wrongdoing by Thomas. According to interim chancellor Barbara Wilson, she praised Thomas for dealing with the string of allegations that have erupted since May, but she said a change was needed. And this was recorded at the time. Decisions such as these are always difficult, but we have to focus on the best interests of our student athletes. I believe this decision allows everyone to move forward. So again, that's a pretty strong precedent from eight years, seven and a half years ago from this particular president. And I just wonder... You know, I know the the comment from uh, the spokesperson was comes across as dismissive, but I also wonder um, maybe could there be something in the works right now? It's either it's either that, well, it's either three things. One, they just 
don't want to talk and they don't like me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Afraid of the sports reporters' questions. Uh, that's probably the least likely. Uh, number two, they could be working on something right now uh, in the process of something. So why talk if you're working on something? Uh, because Iowa has a very, very capable uh, replacement waiting in the wings in, in Beth Getz from Ball State. That was a really important hire they made with the with Barbara Burke's uh, retirement as deputy uh, AD. And or number three, they just want to. You know, hide in the closet and wait for this to blow over. Everyone get caught up in March Madness, all that stuff. And so I don't think it was an accident that it was announced on the week of March Madness. So, Kenning, I'll let you speak first on that, uh, everything I just said. And um, of those three options, what do you think is most likely? Yeah, um, probably somewhere between two and three. I think, um, I don't think that she's necessarily afraid to answer the tough questions, but I do think that um, they are stalling a bit for a reason. And I think okay. I mean, I'll, be dis- I would, I'll be disappointed, I'm sure like we all would be, if there was no type of statement at all. But I think there is something to be said about the fact that people want immediate comments and they want immediate answers, and maybe she's just not in a position to do that because they're playing the long game. So I will allow some grace with that mm-hmm. rationale. But we'll see how it plays out over, um, you know, the next week, two weeks, however long or or so. But um, to Andrew's point about Gary Barta, I also agree with those points that it's, it's important to acknowledge that multiple things can be true at once, that he is good in some areas, but there are obviously others that can't be overlooked. And I think you have to ask yourself, do the the pros of what he's done over his tenure outweigh the cons? And I think that, in my personal opinion, to have that many amount of discrimination lawsuits across um, you know multiple marginalized groups over that period of time, totaling that much amount of money, does not lend a lot of confidence as a leader of a diverse group of student athletes. So. From that vantage point, I don't feel like he necessarily deserves to to keep his job, but I'm not in that position, and I don't think it's my place to say someone should lose their job or not. So we'll see what happens um, over time, but I would agree that I don't think this is going to be significant enough to cost him his job right now. I was on the drive yesterday on Cake Snow, and uh, we talked. one of the things we talked about that I mentioned was, um, again, first of all, the reason they took – that the state settled in their words was that this going to trial would have exposed them to much more risk at a much greater cost than $4 million. And if you read the Hush Blackwell report, the 2019 uh, racial um, diversity report done by the university of Iowa athletics that found, uh, you know, the black athletes didn't feel like they belonged, felt like they had to follow the Iowa way that included football. Um, The only thing that came out of that was that Kirk Ferentz allowed uh, hoodies and earrings to be worn within the facility. That was the, the only significant change that came in that meeting, according to James Daniels, um, who became the voice, the first voice in the two, June 2020 outcry. So um, all that said, why keep um, the question would be, you know, if you're part President Wilson, you know, why keep exposing yourself to future lawsuits of any kind of discrimination that happens in any of Iowa's 20 plus sports? Uh all an attorney has to do is say, hey, here's the track record of the AD and present it to, in a lawsuit. And, all, and that judge is like, 
yeah, there's there's a history here. Let's look into it further, right, Andrew? It's a body of work, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's the it's it's what Gary Barta uses to uh, to justify keeping Brian Ferentz in his job, and and yet he can't see it on on his own because you're exactly right. Uh, yeah, one of the reasons they they wanted to settle this was because of the the Tracy Greasebaum went to trial. That was the one that went to trial, right? And Correct. then they settled the Jane Meyer. Yeah, that put Tom Brands on the stand, Kirk Ferentz, right. Brian Ferentz, and, uh, and Gary the, Barta significantly for days. They obviously felt confident going into. That and uh, and lost mm-hmm. and lost in a big way and then settled the the Jane Meyer part of it and so they feel like going to trial is is a is a risk and and it absolutely is um, and as you said now the the body of work is here anytime any hint of discrimination comes up uh, on several different levels as Kennington point out this isn't just a a uh, young black man being discriminated against thing there are several marginalized groups that have felt this under Gary Barta's uh, leadership and and have been proven to be right and so um, yeah you're, you've exposed yourself to now long-term risk moving forward where anytime something comes up uh, it it you you are you're behind the a ball it you have a track record now of of running a discriminatory program. And that's a uh, that's a really bad place to be. You're listening to Hawks Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Lysico talking Iowa football with Andrew Downs and Kennington Smith. Uh, let's get into the Kirk Ferentz portion of the conversation now. Kirk Ferentz, within minutes of the settlement board approving um, the distribution of funds, four point one seven five million, two million from the state, two point one seven five million from athletics. Uh, it came out with a statement through his attorney, and um, I mean the the top line things there were number one he said this was done without his and the coach's knowledge so again we we saw their names removed with prejudice from the suit seven days earlier and um you know that just meant they couldn't they could could be re-added to the case and it would just it it allowed the settlement negotiations to, to be finalized between the state uh the university and the plaintiffs uh so kirk ferentz's statement pointed that out also said Basically indicated that, you know, tired of having his coaches run through the ringer for two and a half years that just damaged the program. And then probably the the biggest, strongest piece of that, Andrew, was, um, or Kennington, let's go to you first, Kennington, that there was no admission of wrongdoing. And I, that when I first saw that, it's just like, um, I cringed in a way um, because I just knew that there was going to be some some issue with that because you do all you have to do is look at the hush blackwell report which was you know uh, commissioned by the university and you know it was it, it found evidence of um, racial um uh injustices and um yeah, i'm forgetting the exact word of it but basically a system that was set up that did not in, uh, embrace cultural diversity so uh your reaction to um the the fallout really of or the Kirk Ferentz's statement, and then also Demario Solomon Simmons, the player's attorney today, said they felt vindicated and blasted Ferentz's statement that they did no wrong. Yeah, I think the the no wrongdoing thing kind of rubs me the wrong way a bit just because, I mean, they have made changes to the program. And I think that when you when you look at the changes that have been made, and they talk about the differences in the program today versus pre-2020. And I believe there was a point where you did a, a story with Kirk and he admitted to having, you know, blind spots or whatever in the program. And then you hear him say the wrong, there was no wrongdoing. 
in a way, it makes you question if he made these changes genuinely or because he felt the pressure of what was happening in that moment. So that's that's the one thing that I would say about that. As far as everything else, I mean, to say that his coaches have been dragged through the mud, I would say that that's an accurate assessment. I think that you, I think it's obvious that there are some coaches who probably could have seen some career advancement in the last few years that haven't because this case has been hanging over their heads. And to the point about not being consulted about the settlement, I mean, um, why would you? Because you got dismissed from the case. You kind of were able to wipe your hands clean of it from that way. Um, I don't think that anybody is looking at this, the university paying this out and saying, oh, well, um, you know, this is Kirk Ferentz's, you know, black eye or whatever. He got dismissed as it, as it is of the coaches. It's now a university issue. So those are those are my kind of like, I guess, like a three-pronged thought process on, on what he said. Um, I'm sure he's going to continue to speak about this again. We're going to meet with him and for spring practice pressers, so he might have some additional comments. And um, as far as the, the players' side, I mean, I do feel like there is some vindication because they ended up, settling for an amount of money and ultimately, which I feel like is should have been the point of this entire case, when you bring forth these complaints against a program, you do so because you want things to change. Right. And ultimately, things did change within the program. It may not have been the way that the players wanted it when they presented this case, but it ultimately did make a more inclusive environment for the current and future black players. So from that regard, I will say there was some vindication on their side as well. Yeah, just because it's not intentional doesn't mean there was no wrongdoing, right? And I think that right. that's where exactly. things get, get caught up. Um, and yeah, the, the thing that jumped out at me in Kirk Ferentz's statement was, for more than two years, our program has been unfairly and negatively impacted by these allegations. And, and it, they certainly have been negatively impacted. I don't think it's been unfair. I mean, it is a fact that there was a system of racial uh, discrimination inside Iowa's football program. Whether or not that was intentional, we can debate. Whether or not that makes uh, the the Kirk Ferentz and and the others racist, we can debate that. But uh, the bottom line is, what, 50 or 60 black players all came out and said this. Uh, Several reports have found this, internal and external. This did happen. And so that that those are the things that rub me wrong as as well. This uh this there is no wrongdoing. You can say I didn't want this to happen. This wasn't on purpose, but it did happen. And it is it is a black eye, and it does need to be. And the, the fact that, as Kennington pointed out, the fact that changes have been made in the in the interim time tells you that there was something wrong with what was going on before. So yeah, that rubbed me the wrong way as well. Yeah, it's it. I re- I went back and read um, some of the quotes from from Kirk. Uh, in the summer of 2020 and, and the months that followed, much different tone uh, back then than there is now. Now it's more defiant, more uh, moving forward. Obviously, we know he disbanded the advisory uh, group um, uh, on diversity, uh, said he was going to reinstitute with new members, uh, decided he wasn't going to do that, never did. So actions again and words kind of speaking loudly here. But I do want to also uh, point to you know my article from a couple of days ago and I know the the phrase implicit bias, uh, you know, can can get people to roll their eyes or, or dismiss it or whatnot. But I think, um, you know, based on talking to attorneys in this case, that's what that's the crux of this case. Uh, you know, I talked to Tom Newkirk, who was um, uh, very helpful. He's the one that sued Iowa over the Meyer grease bomb thing. And I just want to read you a quote from him. Uh, and basically, you know, as we talked, it's like, yeah, like. It, 
Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz, they're not racist. They just didn't know, and they didn't. They need education, and and um, and you know the state of Iowa uh, uh, legislation from from a couple of years ago makes that a lot more difficult for governmental agencies to institute um, racial diversity training and bias training. But here's a quote from Tom Newkirk again, the the attorney. Um, Kirk is right to be defensive about being called racist because he is not as Brian is not. However, if he and the university want to put this behind them, then the answer is to embrace necessary changes to address implicit bias by Kirk, demanding that Gary Barta and the university do something about it. Now, there was a one piece to this, and I'll give you the final word here, Andrew, um, you know, surrounding uh, the uh, there is there are some other additional measures being taken, um, including um, uh Gosh, uh, Dr. Uh, Leonard Moore. Let me make sure I got that name right before I'll let you tell. I'll, I'll correct it if that's wrong. Uh, from the you know, former diversity expert at the University of Texas, uh, founder of a black uh, national student athlete summit. But we've seen people come into these roles before at the University of Iowa and have very little power to make change. And, and what Newkirk was saying, and I totally agree, that if Kirk wants something to happen, if he really wants something to happen, he can make something happen. Yes, we found that over and over again, right? I mean, Kirk Ferentz has the power there to, to make something happen. And, and you're right, the, the tone shift over the last two and a half years has been a little troubling uh, because in the summer of 2020, it felt like Kirk Ferentz uh, kind of had his eyes open and, and was was on the right path. And and then, you know, in the in the time since then, we've heard from uh, several athletes, including Kayvon Merriweather, that things have gotten better, things have changed. and uh, But that, that, that tone has slid a little bit over this last last uh, year or so, and it has become more defined. And, and Kirk Ferentz almost saying, hey, I shouldn't have to do this. Uh, but you're exactly right. If if Kirk Ferentz wants this to change, it will change. If he doesn't, it won't. And if he doesn't and it doesn't, uh, it'll be a, a stain on his legacy. Yeah, And that's I think that's why folks are kind of pointing toward Barta now. At least make a change. I mean, that's what folks are. Yeah. You know, Barta has become the target out of this publicly. Um Fair or not, uh, obviously it was under his watch. Rabdo was under his watch. He's let these things. Go. He let Chris Doyle linger another nine, ten years. After that, you know, Coach Doyle got an award. Um, so yeah, there is um, you know precedent of you know maybe some. There, there's at least something to question. And would a change in leadership hurt? Hurt? What would be the downside of a change of leadership? You know, with Beth Getz potentially rising to that interim level. You know, that's up to Barbara Wilson, and that's where things stand. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on this. Really, it's a a tough conversation, but I'm glad we had it. It is. Yeah, same here. Thank you. Thank you, Kennington, as well. Uh, We will get into basketball next. How's that sound, my friend? Yeah, sounds good. There's um, a lot to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up next, we will talk Iowa Hoops. We'll get you primed for the Iowa Women's Basketball uh, Selection Show and also get you ready for the Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournaments right here uh, on Huck Central 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. With me, as always, is Kennington Smith. Thank you to Andrew Downs in that first segment uh, for joining us. Uh, difficult conversations surrounding the Iowa football lawsuit, but uh, stuff we had to talk about and uh, stuff we will continue to monitor now, Kennington, let's talk some women's hoops. We will get to the men a little bit later in the show, but obviously uh, a dynamic run up in Minneapolis at the Target Center, uh, you know, beating Purdue, then Maryland, then Ohio State by a record margin of 33 points, uh, put up 105 in that game. Caitlin Clark, uh, 37, 30 points, 17 assists, 10 rebounds. Very, very impressive uh, to step up in crunch time 
really for the second straight year, they have ended the regular season and Big Ten tournament with a flurry. Yeah, 100%. I mean, a crazy run. Like you said, I think what stuck out to me was just the way that the entire team was playing with synergy and you saw those kind of role players stepping up when it matters most. I'm thinking mainly of Gabby Marshall, who's really struggled from three-point range this year. But the last 10 games or so, I mean, she's been red hot, near 60% shooting. And she had some signature moments. I'm thinking about the Maryland game, for example, where she really came on and helped spark that team to a win. So you feel like they're peaking at the right time. They're playing with a lot of confidence. And, you know, the, the kind of the big question here is where are they going to be seated and what type of run can they make potentially to a Final Four? Yeah, absolutely. That's where the conversation heads. As we know, in the women's side, uh, the tournaments are usually done uh, way ahead of time. So there is kind of that, that feeling of, ah, you got to wait, you know, two more weeks to play now. But also this is a team that uh, certainly can be can enjoy this high for a little bit and maybe just kind of relish a second straight Big Ten tournament title. And also something that happened this week, Cannington, was that the Hawkeyes rose to number two in the national rankings. I mean, this was a team that uh, had a preseason number four ranking, you know, felt some early uh, losses, you know, to K-State, NC State, UConn, even Illinois. Uh, But since January 1st, Kennington, the only two losses for this team were at Indiana and at Maryland. Uh, Those were two projected number one seeds uh, in the NCAA tournament until uh, this past weekend. Indiana will still be a number one uh, with their resume or its resume, I should say. Uh, but now the question, as you said, uh, becomes, can the Hawkeyes get that number one seed line? Uh, first off, though, one of the accomplishments, and you know this um, this as well as, as anyone, uh, South Carolina is a team you want to avoid as long as possible. They're the number one team in the, in the nation. And feels like Iowa has, has played itself out of the bottom number two seed for sure. They will not. Yeah, you know, I, I would be stunned. Would would you not? That if Iowa is in the South Carolina region as they were projected to yeah. be before the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I, I would be surprised to see them on that line, and I think that's a great point as well. Is um, obviously South Carolina has been is the most dominant women's basketball team in the country right now. So you want to avoid that matchup as long as possible. So Iowa, if nothing else, accomplished that goal um, of avoiding that. In addition to winning a Big Ten championship, so not a bad deal there. Yeah, and just uh, just continuing the point on rising to number two in the national rankings, um, you know, certainly the Caitlin Clark factor um, is pretty unbelievable. Um, I mean, she's doing things that that no Division One player <laughs> is doing. I mean, in terms of the passes, the shooting from the depth uh, of range, uh, getting her teammates involved. Uh, you know, some of those you know floating post passes to Monica Sonano. They may they may not look that difficult. But it's, when you're sitting courtside, <laughs> I mean, those are just like, those are elite quarterback touch passes that are into the post through double teams. And they have to be just so deflating uh, when, <laughs> as an opponent, if you see, ah, we can't stop, you know, we have to guard her from 25, 30 feet out, but we can't let her drive. But then if she passes into a double team, she still gets it done. I mean, what do you do against, is there any defense that can stop Caitlin Clark? Um. Probably the boxing one is probably the most effective mode. I mean, that's like a full-on almost five-person effort to stop one player. We saw Maryland do it very well when Iowa went on the road. It was somewhat of an unexpected strategy from Iowa's perspective. And then also that was a game where the role players did not rise to the occasion. So if you see 
the everyone else on the team playing to the level that they've been playing, in addition to Caitlin Clark's greatness. I don't know if there is um, a defensive strategy that is going to be able to hold her. Um, so that's kind of the, the big question on my mind is how much can Iowa's team sustain this momentum with this week off going into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, that was something we, we were in the room and Lisa Bluter uh, after the Indiana win talked about how she took the blame for that that loss up at Maryland uh, where they, they lost big because they weren't prepared for the defense that Maryland was going to throw at them. Well, uh, you know, as as storylines, you know, perfect storylines come together, they got that Maryland rematch in the semifinals. And uh, as Caitlin Clark's, <laughs> she was dropping some pretty great quotes in that Maryland post game, including, uh, you know, it's all I know, you know, being in the Big Ten championship games. And uh, and also said basically, hey, if, if people want to bring that defense again against us, uh, we just put up 89. <laughs> Uh, with that defense and uh, so feel free to try that again against us and so uh, you know I feel like that was a huge accomplishment as well and that was something the women's players talked about you know kind of proving to themselves that that Maryland loss was an anomaly and I think that that also gives this team a ton of confidence now going into what are going to be two incredible atmospheres at Carver Hawkeye Arena next week Kennington Um, do you think Iowa gets a one or the two what do you think yeah, I, I've been debating with myself back and forth as we've been talking about this. Like, I'm looking at the standings, I'm looking at the teams, and it's going to be really tough. I mean, I think South Carolina is obviously um, the overall seed. I feel like Stanford is getting the one seed Pac-12 um, regular season champions, and they've played South Carolina closest of anybody this season, so I feel like that deserves some consideration. And then the last two spots coming down to three teams, Iowa, Indiana, and Virginia Tech. Um I feel like Iowa's their momentum down the stretch. I feel like it's going to nudge them into that one seed, but it is going to be really, really close between um, you know them, Indiana, and Virginia Tech. So I feel like the fact that they've risen all the way up to number two in the AP poll is um, telling, leading up to um, you know the selection day. So I feel like they're, they're they'll get that one seed, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're the highest two because I mean it is. We're splitting hairs here between these these next three teams. Yeah, I think you got to throw UConn in the mix potentially as well in the conversation. Um, Iowa got helped with a lot of a lot of losses by high ranked teams last week in conference tournaments. Early, you know, Utah was a projected number one seed and they lost in the quarterfinals to Washington State. And that uh, you know the ESPN bracketology Charlie Cream. So in other words, Utah was like the four and he dropped them all the way to to the eight overall seed uh, with that loss. So they, he's got them with South Carolina right now. And I think the what he's projected was Virginia Tech 1, Iowa 2. So in other words, the last four seed being, or the last uh, fourth overall seed being Virginia Tech, Iowa being the fifth overall seed. I think you can live with that if you're Iowa. Um, but the thing is, you you know, then you got to beat a three and a one as opposed to, uh, if you're a one seed, you know, the the Sweet 16, if you get there, the best seed you're going to face would be a four to get the Elite Eight. And who knows what happens in the bottom bracket at that point. So, I mean, I think you want I think you want the one. I think you deserve the one if you're Iowa. Like Lisa Bluter, Caitlin Clark both said they deserve the one. But uh, I don't know. I, I, it looks to me like it's going to be Iowa-Virginia Tech maybe in that order. I think Indiana has probably cemented a one seed. They still just have three losses. One was without Grace Berger. The other two <laughs> were uh, at Iowa uh, on a Caitlin Clark heave at the buzzer, and then uh, to Ohio, a really good Ohio State team that, that came back from 24 points down to beat them at the Big Ten tournament. So quality losses there for Indiana. Selection show on Sunday, my friend. Uh, 
for the women, I'm I'm going to go. I, I think Iowa gets the one. I, I do. I think the the Caitlin Clark momentum. I think you cannot discount that. You know, look at the quality wins that Iowa's had in recent days, and I think you just you do have to look at you know what this team's done in the past two and a half months. I know it's a body of work, but uh, you know really not 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 any bad losses in that mix. So I'm going one. Uh, I can't remember where'd you where'd you land. Do you think they're going to get the two? I. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two. I'm gonna go highest. Highest two. two, and that still was a good. That would be a good draw. In that case, I think we expect them to go out into that Seattle region. Um, but, but we will see. Um, fun conversations. We'll find out Sunday night. But now, uh, coming up next, it's time to talk about Iowa men's basketball. The Big Ten tournament starting today. Uh, Hawkeyes action starting tomorrow in Chicago. Uh, we will be right back to talk about that right here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. Make sure to check out the first two segments if you missed them on our podcast feeds. Uh, search Hawk Central uh, at hawkcentral.com, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, or you can look at my Twitter feed or Kennington Smith's Twitter feed, right? Um, thank you for the conversation on women's hoops. We'll turn our attention to the men now, Kennington. Um, I want to get to your, uh, you just posted this morning, a uh, Chris Murray piece. Uh, let's actually talk about that now before we get into kind of the results of the weekend. Um, you had a sit down with Chris Murray uh, last week and put it together. Um, already getting some nice praise on that piece. Uh, tell us what you learned. Uh, your top line takeaway or two from you know a young man uh, who came back uh, to prove himself and was named first team All Big Ten on Tuesday. He's had a fantastic season leading this Hawkeye team uh, into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think that my top line takeaway is that Chris Murray is just one hundred percent comfortable in who he is as a basketball player and as a person. And that's not to say that he always hasn't been, but I think this past year has just been really, really important for him to develop as an individual. And he spoke on that in our story on multiple levels. But obviously the comparisons to Keegan Murray and those two being side-by-side their entire lives, training together their entire lives, sharing a common goal – it naturally you're going to group the two together. And this was the first time where they were apart and they're kind of doing their own thing. Keegan obviously is in the NBA doing very well. And Chris came back to Iowa to pursue his own basketball journey. And it's really just uh, an in his own words piece about his thoughts on being compared to Keegan, his mentality coming into the season, how he's grown as a player, how he's grown as a leader and kind of how he sees himself within um, just kind of like the Iowa basketball landscape. Obviously, he shares some pretty important distinctions with Keegan Murray and now Luca Garza as first-team All-Big Ten selections, and something that kind of went under the radar yesterday was that he was named a Sporting News All-American as well. So um, really just good to get a chance to sit down and, and talk to Chris and stretch our legs on several topics, and I think – that the fans are really going to enjoy it. So I really appreciate Chris, um, appreciate his father, Kenya Murray, for his perspective as well as I was preparing for this piece, and I encourage everybody to go read it. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I, I had to submit my um, AP All-American teams. I'm the uh, state of Iowa's AP voter. 
Uh, I did put uh, Chris Murray on the third team. We'll see what, how that shakes out. I think that comes out next week. So, yeah, he was third team All-American by Sporting News. Um, real quick, Kennington, you know, has he played himself into the first round NBA draft? Yeah, I think so. I think he was um, a friend's first rounder entering into this season. I think he's firmly solidified his place in the first round. This is an all-time draft projecting-wise. Mm. So, that he's going to go into the lottery, I think is presumptuous right now. We'll see how he proceeds through the through the draft process. But I definitely think he's a, a second-round pick. And if you can get Chris Murray post-lottery, that would be a huge steal for an NBA team. But I think he's definitely among the top 30 players in the country right now. We're in the world, obviously, you know, the NBA does – Country world. He's he's among the top thirty prospects in the world for sure. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, all right. So I was up at the Target Center uh, covering the women over the weekend. So I did not uh, get to consume the Iowa Nebraska game on Sunday at Carver Hawkeye Arena. The Hawkeyes kind of squander their opportunity for a Big Ten double buy. End up being the five seed instead of the potential two seed uh, with that eighty-one to seventy-seven loss. Kennington. Uh, again, you explain uh, to me what happened. I just think Iowa was then very focused on the game. And we had player availability yesterday. And Peyton Sanford kind of alluded to it, saying that they, in a way, overlooked Nebraska kind of looking ahead. And, I mean, you think about everything that led up to that game. They get the huge win over Indiana, arguably the biggest win of the season. And then everything that needed to fall in place for them to get that number two seed fell in place. And, you you just assumed that Iowa was going to be locked in and get the win over Nebraska, but it just wasn't a very focused and buttoned-up effort from the start. Nebraska came out blazing hot. They had a lot of momentum, and it just kind of felt like Iowa was treading water the entire time. It just wasn't that aggressive kill mentality that we saw in the Indiana game. And that's just kind of the story of Iowa's season is the inconsistencies. You don't really know what you're going to get game to game. So talking to players, Philip Arasha said he's still not over the loss, obviously mm. uh, emotional for him and Connor McCaffrey and the others um, senior day, huge moment last game at Carver um, and they lost in a big spot. So it's still lingering, but I think that the, the, the challenge for them is to kind of channel that frustration into good preparation and putting that behind them and wiping the slate clean for the Big Ten tournament. So we'll see if if that team is able to do that, but those are just kind of my impressions of the game and where the team sits right now. Yeah, we'll get a chance to see Iowa at 1.30 p.m. on Thursday at the United Center in Chicago as the five seed. Now, Kennington Hawkeyes won the whole deal as a five seed last year. Obviously, they came into it. Um, you know, They also came into that tournament, remember, with kind of a disappointing loss, obviously, a more understandable loss on the road at Illinois last year, but uh, you know they did come into the, this tournament in a similar situation as a you know as a five seed coming off a loss uh, to end the regular season. Uh, you know, uh, inconsistency—that's a great word. Um, I'm I'm a little bit concerned to hear the players haven't gotten over it potentially yet. But I mean, my expectation is they're going to come in with a pretty sharp focus. Um, I would be surprised if they. This team has been pretty resilient, I would say, all year. Has it not? Um, I mean, there've been a, you know obviously the stretch without Chris, and when Patrick was going through the mental health, um, right preceding the mental health pause. Um, you know, this team looked like it was disjointed a little bit, but um, since. Yeah, over the last couple of months, it feels like after they've had a loss, for the most part, they've bounced back pretty well. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I would say so. 
And uh, the the interesting thing about this draw is whoever they're going to get in that first game is going to be a team that's beaten them convincingly, either Ohio State or Wisconsin. I mean, a combined one and three against those teams this season. So that that Thursday game is going to be really interesting. But I think it was a pretty favorable draw regardless of the fact that they slipped to the five seed. I mean, you have um, somewhat of a revenge factor in that in that first game, especially if it's Wisconsin, a team that they lost both times to in the regular season. Michigan State is a team that they've played closely both both times. Uh, and then, obviously, that would set up a potential matchup with Purdue in the semifinals, and that's been a tough matchup for Iowa, obviously, over the last few years. But it's not an insurmountable, unclimbable mountain is is what I'm saying. So slipping to the 5C was unfortunate, but I do see a pathway where Iowa can at least play themselves into the semifinal. Let's talk about what a successful Big Ten tournament looks like for the Hawkeyes. Uh, we do not. Uh, there's no doubt that the Hawkeyes are going to be in the NCAA tournament field. Uh, even if they lose this first game, they should not slip down to Dayton. Today's ESPN bracketology from Joe Lunardi, for example, still has Iowa as a seven seed uh, in Denver, uh, with the two seed being Baylor. So Iowa's still kind of in that seven to ten seed, probably seven to nine seed um, projection at this point. I kind of think they're going to end up being an eight nine if they have a you know kind of a one and done or, or two and done Big Ten tournament, but we'll see. Um, I think a successful what, what what does a successful tournament look like for you? And I will say, Kennington, um, you know, I think you got to win one. <laughs> I think you got to win one and get at least a little bit of taste, uh, a victory that would give you that twenty win season. Um, you get that twenty next to your name going to the Big Ten tournament or Big Ten NCAA tournament. I'm sorry. And I think people could understand if you lose to Michigan State. Um, you know, it's it's a good program. Tom Izzo, uh, dude, this team's playing pretty well right now. I think you people understand that. I'm not saying Iowa would lose that game, but I think you at least got to win this first one. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I think for me personally, a successful weekend would be winning two and getting to the semifinal. Yeah, I think yeah. losing losing on Thursday would obviously be unsuccessful. Like that would be almost borderline disaster depending on how that game plays out Mm -hmm. losing winning one losing to michigan state i think you would call that a wash like you said michigan state um played iowa close arguably should have beaten them both times and they're playing really well right now so you would kind of scrap that and just say it is what it is but playing into saturday i think you would feel pretty good about iowa's momentum going into the ncaa tournament so that's where i'm at with what I would deem successful. We've got about three minutes left here on Hawk Central. Let's talk about the whole bracket. Uh, I like, you know, I don't mind the Iowa draw, like you said. Uh, yeah, I think the Michigan State game, if they get there, would be competitive. Uh, that's a team that doesn't have great interior defense, so that helps Iowa. It's not like the, you know, the Purdue matchup does does not feel good for the Hawkeyes. However, I would not. Be surprised if Michigan, Juwan Howard coach Michigan, they've got a lot of motivation to play well in this tournament. Uh, Rutgers is their first matchup in that 8-9 game. Uh, I think Michigan wins that game. Um, you know, Rutgers has kind of fallen apart a little bit. And then, you know, Michigan does have Hunter Dickinson. So he's he's a guy that can, you know, stack up to, to Zach Eady, who I think will be a national player of the year. And maybe Michigan beats Purdue. And maybe they, <laughs> maybe we'll be sitting at an Iowa-Michigan uh, semifinal on Saturday as well. Uh, that's kind of my, my little bit of a sleeper team would be Michigan. What do you see from this bracket? Yeah, like you said, um, 
there there's so much parity and I think it can go so many different ways. I think that's just like the common theme of the Big Ten this year is um so many teams that are fairly evenly matched outside of Purdue. But I think this kind of bracket lends itself for a lot of teams making a run. A team that I'm gonna be paying attention to is Indiana. Um you think about what happened mm-hmm. to them from their side after the Iowa loss and it felt very doom and gloom and and you kind of look a few days later and they've kind of ended up in like an opposite situation from Iowa. It was like doom and gloom after that loss, and then they end up in the three seed, and then Iowa has a triumphant win, slips down to five. So really interested to see how Indiana responds in this field, and I think there's some potential for them to um, to make a little bit of a run. Yeah, two, uh, one seed, obviously Purdue. Two is Northwestern. Three is Indiana. Four is Michigan State. Five is Iowa. Six is Maryland. Seven, Illinois. Uh, as we said, eight, nine, Michigan, Rutgers, and then um, Penn State, the ten. So, uh, you know, kind of interesting. Nebraska, even with that win, does not quite get out of the Wednesday games. Um, yeah, on the other side of the bracket, I like, uh, I do like Indiana to kind of emerge. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Northwestern does. That was an impressive win uh, at Rutgers to secure that number two seed. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see this whole thing. And uh, are you packing for four days? Are you packing for, for two? What's the plan, Kennington? I am packing for four days because I have seen this story before. <laughs> yes. um, so um, I think I told you a few days. I'm bringing my I'm bringing my big bag. So you know, we'll see if I we'll see if I end up using all of the uh, all of the outfits. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm 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 prepared for it because I know what Iowa is capable of when they're playing um, at optimal levels. Exactly. Yeah, and this is a this is a team you you really don't know what to expect. So they could lose this one and then go to the Sweet Sixteen. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I think fans would take that trade, right? <laughs> For sure. All right. Thanks, Kennington Smith, and thank you, listeners. Follow our coverage from the Big Ten tournament in Chicago at hawkcentral.com and on Selection Sunday. No matter what happens, we will have you covered on Selection Sunday. And there's probably going to be a YouTube podcast somewhere in there, uh, maybe even a couple. So we will be back at you next Wednesday night to get you primed for the Iowa women's turn, uh, you know, role in the NCAA tournament and the Iowa men in the NCAA tournament right here on 106.3 KXNO. This is Chad Leistikos and Kenneth Smith saying thank you and good night.